Okay, it's got nothing to do with this. This morning we pick up on our series, our identity in Christ, and uh, just a quick recap on last week. So last week we looked at our identity in Christ and how it's established through our location, being located in Christ. And this week we're going to look at relationship. Next week we're going to look at the spoken identity and the power thereof. And all these, they mix together, but I've got to kind of identify them and work on them. You'll see, you could say one thing in one week and it links to the other, of course, that's true. So we saw that our identity is rooted in our creation, in uh, the image of God. I never get tired of telling you we are made in God's image to represent Him, carry His name, reveal His nature, to govern and rule on his behalf as stewards of God's will on the earth as it is in heaven. Being a royal priesthood, royal as in ruling and exercising authority, not just ceremony, and priesthood, ministering to and on behalf of our God. And you're extraordinarily fashioned and formed from dust. This creation, God builds our bodies from the raw materials of the earth, and then he comes close and he breathes his spirit of life into us. And so we alone are the dust of the earth and the breath of heaven, the intersect between heaven and earth. Not even angels have that privilege. And we are made on earth to attract and enjoy the presence of God, um, the living creator. But there's this huge battle for identity that's triggered by trauma, wounds, and sin. And it goes all the way back to our first parents in the garden, Adam and Eve. And, uh, but you need to understand, we often then think of ourselves as damaged and broken and worthless. And then we come to Jesus whose expectations of us are sky high precisely because he believes your worth is sky high. He does not read you through the lens of trauma or wounds or sin. He reads you through his lens of created purpose. He's not ignoring it. He did a great deal to save us from it. And so we saw there were inadequate solutions for our identity. In the simplest form, our solutions are inadequate because they fail to deal with what God calls sin and the damage that causes. And then our identity is redeemed in salvation Remember the rule of the estate agents, location, location, location. You are in Christ Jesus. And so through his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and reign with the Father, this is so important, everything that was true of us became true of him. On the earth, on the cross, in our sin, he fully identified. In fact, that identification started where we're going to go now at his baptism. And he did it to fulfill all righteousness, identify. And so the one who had no sin became sin for us so that everything that is true of him becomes true of us. Everything that was true of us became true of him so that everything that is true of him could become true of us. So turn with me then to Luke chapter 3. 
This is John the Baptist at the River Jordan. The passage before this has been teaching about how John has been preaching, calling people to the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people are recognizing their sinfulness and coming to be baptized. We read in Matthew that John the Baptist panicked when Jesus came to be baptized because he's going, you don't need this. And everything that's true of us was going to be become true of him. And so he says, I absolutely need this to fulfill my mission. And so when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he is immersed in the water, immersed in prayer, so this is not just an action being done to him, it's an, there's an action of prayer that's actually inside this as he's going through this, as he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. So this wasn't just a vision. You know, sometimes we do, and visions are a real wonderful gift, and sometimes you get real you know, powerful insights and understanding because there's a vision of something. This was not that. This was bodily form. Somehow through the rip-opened heaven comes an actual dove. But people go, that's more than a dove. And descends on him in bodily form. And a voice came from heaven. And again, this isn't just an imagined voice. This was an audible, loud declaration from God. Now you need to understand, heaven has apparently been silent for 30 years. Heaven has watched the glory of heaven. The radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being. The presence in communion. Enter earth in a woman's womb. And, and then go through all the trauma of the story of Jesus. Seeming silence. Jesus has to learn God's word. He's got to memorize the scriptures. He's got to come to understand everything that is true. There's so much going on inside him in the face of an apparent silent heaven, a walk by faith, and an understanding that God needs a suffering servant who will bear the sins of his people. And Jesus slowly grows in his understanding there is a glorious son of man who will bear the sins of the earth. And so he goes to that baptism to begin the process of identifying with sinners so that he can save them. We often read this and we want to go, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I don't think that happened. I think Gabriel had sore ribs for months afterwards. As Jesus is praying and he comes out the, the water, the father stands up, whams Gabriel in the ribs and shouts so loud that it penetrates the earthly atmosphere. That's my boy and I love him. Son, I am so pleased with you. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old. When he began his ministry. This triggered his ministry. We'll get there. The first thing we see is that relationship establishes identity. At the top it's in red. You are is clearly 
identity-forming statement. The Father speaking to identity. But the identity is described by relationship. You are my son. And then the Father describes the nature of the relationship. Whom I love. And then back to the you. So it's in the red again. With you. I am well pleased. So I've written in the form of the poem that it was probably originally intended to be heard. It's like a little micro poetry inside that. And the rhythm and the lines all match as to which person is being spoken to at each point. And what the feel and the nature of that is. You see, the father wants Jesus to see himself in a certain way. So that when he answers the question, who am I? Because you see, the answer to the question, who am I, has a massive controlling influence on how we behave, how we, the choices we make, the people we associate with, and, and just what we're going to do with our lives on the earth. Now, we saw last week's reading that Paul hopelessly mixed his metaphors. I don't know if you remember Ephesians 5, for you once were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. And then he goes, for the fruit of light. Hello, Paul, you're messing up the metaphor here. It consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Yeah, and as Cindy's a queen of metaphor mixing as well. So... <laughs> So here's a general explanation of what Paul is saying when we bear fruit out of identity. Notice this, you know, this kind of, this link here. You are light, we saw last week. So like root, like fruit. In other words, if, if the DNA is in the root system and the seed that went into the ground, eventually that fruit is going to produce what went into the ground. So the kind of fruit gives us insight into the nature of the tree. So if you are light, um, if you are light, <laughs> then you will produce goodness, righteousness, and truth. And so our behavior, the little apples you see over there, um, is the visible fruit of what is produced by the invisible root systems. Of course, most trees obviously don't look like that. Um, and so in order to change our behavior, we have to change our beliefs. Is that, that's not too high a grade, hey? Okay, so what's missing from that picture? How many of you have seen something that looks just like that? Go on. Soil. That is rather obvious, isn't it? No matter what the DNA, it needs to be located, established, planted inside something. And so if fruit is behavior and root is belief, it needs to go into a context, into a grounding that actually makes it healthy or not. In other words, the DNA gives you the potential, but it's the soil itself, where you belong, where you are planted, that gives you the capacity and so Paul's thought is that, well, let me go to Jesus, Luke 13. So obviously, now we get a different picture. Suddenly we see the sky, we see the clouds, there's the moisture there. 
There's the grass. There's a protection of the soil. So it's not being baked to death. There's the soil itself. And hopefully that soil is healthy. And it's got <coughs> the correct mix of aerobic and anaerobic elements. And is able to actually draw all that is needed. Now, come with me to a little bit of biology from Jesus in Luke chapter 13, where he tells this story, a parable about a man who had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit. Yeah, figs they were. Um, but he couldn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this friggin' fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the... Mm. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it. I'll fertilize it. I will work on the soil. If it bears no fruit next year, then fine. It's really not doing the business. So you redeem a tree by working on its soil. Now, obviously, Jesus also prunes John 15 and all the rest of it. But Matthew 12, Jesus says this, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. In other words, he recognizes that although there's a created DNA, that doesn't guarantee it's good or bad. It's the conditions around. So your creation gives you the potential, but there's something else that needs so you don't need to change the DNA. You're not going to you know, suddenly start, if you're a fig tree, producing bananas or you know, watermelons that hang in midair. You, you're still going to do what you've created to do. But how do you work it? You work the soil around it. And so you make a tree good, its fruit will be good. You make a tree bad, its fruit will be bad. And so it's the place of your fountain. It's the place of your belonging that really needs a lot of attention. The father understands this as he begins to work with Jesus. The father speaks to the place of his belonging. The father knows the son. And, and we pick this up in the, in the very next chapter. Jesus has by now memorized huge chunks of the Bible. But the father wants to take those beliefs and he wants them to be in the soil of belonging and identity. See, fruit is very important. It's what the world sees and what Jesus commands. But just sellotaping some fruit onto the branch does not make it a fruitful tree. That's just cosmetic. Maybe lasts for, you know, a Christmas day or something. Root is very important because our behavior reveals what we believe and who we trust. But the soils of connectedness and relationships, whether they are healthy or harmful, will make the most difference in your life. You are light in the Lord. Live as children of light and you'll produce the fruit of life, goodness, righteousness, truth. And so supremely in our reading, we see that connectedness and relationships have this huge impact. We are not trees hanging in midair. And so Rene Descartes was not smart when he climbed into a chimney 
to find his identity through thinking about thinking and therefore saying, I think, therefore I am. I think. We are profoundly rooted in relationships. Now, those of you not, you know, your worldview isn't Western. You're going, did you ever seriously believe that? Well, so much in our world is built around that reasoning, including our exploitation of creation and a bunch of other things, because we fail to see our connectedness. And the more healthy our connections are to all things, the healthier we will be. And so in our reading, God says, you are my child and I love you. And that's what takes Jesus into the next phase, as it were, of his life. And we're going to come back to this because there's a response from us. We're going to come back there next week as we look at Romans 8. But the second thing we need to say is that ministry then flows from relationship. And so it's no coincidence that Luke then observes now Jesus himself was about to, you know, it sounds like a little bit of Luke's you know, pernickety historical accuracy, you know, asking Mary, Mary, because I honestly believe Luke interviewed Mary. Um, he's the only one with so much Mary material. Probably interviewed Mary, if you really want to know, when Paul was in prison in Caesarea, because he traveled with Paul to Caesarea, and then he was in the area, and he was researching Luke's gospel. Um, any case, and he says, I interviewed a whole bunch of people, got to the witnesses, this is from the original sources, and so there we are, out of this affirmation encounter, this identity, the ministry of Jesus begins. Now, Acts chapter 10, verse 38 is even more explicit. Let's start at verse 37. You know what happened. Now, he's talking to Gentiles. In the Peter is preaching to Gentiles in the house of Cornelius. Throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee at the baptism that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And so this fruitfulness begins to explode out of the life of Jesus, precisely out of relationship. Ministry does not flow from knowledge Knowledge can mess up your ministry. Lies can mess up your ministry. But ministry flows from relationship. Relationship with the Father, mediated, made known, made real by the Holy Spirit. And so as the heavens open and Holy Spirit comes and he's manifest on the life of Jesus. John says he didn't just pop in for a moment like who knows when this bodily manifestation of the Holy Spirit lifted because I don't think Jesus spent three years walking around. But he, he, he and there is a whole thing to go with that. I'm not going to go there now. But he certainly never lost the sense that God was with him. And that's what Peter said. He, he did this all knowing, knowing I am loved. I'm God's son. I am loved. He is with me. He is with me. He is with me. Was Jesus God the son before he was baptized? 
Yes. He was Emmanuel the moment he was conceived in Mary's womb. You will call him Emmanuel. He never became God at his baptism and therefore could do miracles and signs and wonders. He, though being God, had chosen so fully to live like us that he needed the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to begin his ministry. And so out of the relationship with the Father by the Holy Spirit, this fruit begins to flow. Remember, because of Jesus then, everything that's true of him becomes true of us. And so this fruitfulness that's evident in Jesus is now also transferable to us. We precisely expect to go around doing good, healing those who are under the power of the, of, of the devil, or setting them free, or breaking off the darkness, or caring for the poor, or including the excluded, or whatever, precisely because what was true of him now becomes true of us. And then we see, sorry, I was ahead of my screen. Now, if you're going to take a screenshot, take that one. It's so central to understanding how God sees you. Everything that was true of us. Now, they, they are, someone's going to say, everything. Well, the point of it is, is he was without sin. But he was even on the cross, identified to that extent. Everything on the flip side, that we become sons of God, yes. Yes. You don't become God, but you adopted into the life-giving relationship that God has with the Son. Jesus prays, John 17, that the love that the Father has for me may be in you. The same extent. And so from being loved, we can love. We enter, listen to this, the baptism of Jesus and all its power and love by recognizing the identity of Jesus. I'm going to take you to a surprising passage. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 4. And I want to show you the baptismal structure inside this. This is the famous passage on God as love. And that we love because he first loved us. And we all go weak at the knees and we love this passage. We don't see that John has structured it, or we too seldom see, according to the baptismal encounter of Jesus. I want you to read this now, thinking about the baptismal encounter. This is how we know that we live in him, we've got this new location, and him in us. He has given us the Spirit. When did Jesus get the Spirit? At the baptism. When do we get the Spirit? When we enter Jesus. The same Spirit is given to us. And we have seen and testify that the Father split heaven and sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. There's that entry into the earth that is inside that verse. 
And then what the father said over the son, you are my son. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, you've got to say over the identity and nature of Jesus what the father said over the identity and nature of Jesus. You align your understanding of the person of Jesus with the Father's understanding of his identity. This is my son. I love him. Anyone who acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God lives in them. You know, God lives in them and they in God. Your baptism, you've now been immersed into Trinitarian reality. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so, just like Jesus, as we now go into our everyday lives, we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. That's what you encountered with Jesus every time you met him. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Now, I've run out of time. But it goes on to say in verse 18, I think it is, that this is how we will have confidence on the day of judgment, that in this world we were like Jesus. We precisely carry his identity and his nature, and so we love because he first loved us. You see the pattern? What's the key? Believing what the Father says about the Son. Like Jesus really is who the Father says he is. When you understand that Jesus is your representative and that what the Father says about Jesus is true, suddenly you realize that I'm in God. I'm in Jesus. Remember the perichoresis? I step as he steps. I stand as he stands. I move as he moves. I'm in Christ Jesus. When you understand that you are inside the Son, you understand that as it were, God has completely committed himself to you. You are his child. This is the theology of adoption. And if we go to Psalm 2, the theology of adoption is always about the anointing of God for the outcome of his kingdom. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. Sorry, it's loaded my notes. The Father says, Today I've become your father. Today you are my son. This is the Lord's anointed one, his king, his Messiah. You see, when we recognize the identity of Jesus, literally heaven opens for us. The spirit is poured out and he speaks his word of love and identity and belonging to our truest selves. And we are immersed. We are baptized. We are relocated. One of the images from the prayer meeting, we are repotted. We are, we are taken from this soil, and we put in a much healthier soil. We are transplanted in order that we might ultimately be transformed. You have a new location, and now out of a new relationship, you have a new identity. You are mine. You're my daughter. I love you. I'm pleased with you. Why? Because everything that's true of Jesus is true of me.
And it's not your performance God is looking at. He's looking at the grace. We sang it earlier. Jesus paid it all. You see, this is really, really true of Jesus. The Father loves him. The Father split heaven for him. And when I recognize that this is the Son of God and the Father loves him, and that everything that's true for him becomes true for me, I realize, like a prodigal coming home, I'm running from the pigsty of shame and exclusion into the open wide arms of my father. We're not slaves. We're daughters and sons. We're not servants. We are royal key, uh, priests to whom we belong. See, this is not just, let's have the worship team up. This is not of academic interest to God. This is the God who waits for prodigals with arms open wide. How can he do it? He can do it because of Jesus. He can do it because you get included inside Jesus. You see, the miracle of becoming a new person is pregnant every time. The Father's words over Jesus are spoken. The miracle of becoming a new person is like pregnant in that moment. Every time the Father's words over Jesus are spoken. Because if you believe what the Father says about Jesus, suddenly you realize this is going to be true for me. It's not just about Jesus. I'm, I'm literally standing at the beginning of a new life. Because of who Jesus is. I will become a new creation in this encounter. John Wesley was a missionary ordained in theology, trying so hard to please God. I mean, he'd served in the wild countries, and still he despaired of knowing the pleasure of God. He had done everything he could. He tried his best and repeatedly failed. And he went home back to England feeling like the most miserable failure in all God's church. Because he was trying to deserve through his obedience through his ministry. In other words, he was hoping ministry would give him a relationship. He's hoping obedience would give him a relationship. And one day he went to a little meeting of people. I think it was in Aldersgate Street. And they were reading theology. Martin Luther's introduction to the book of Romans, which talks about believing in Jesus and who he is. And as he listened, he said, something began to happen in my heart. My heart began to burn. My heart was strangely warmed. He later came to describe that heat 
has perfect love that drives away the fear. 1 John 4. So as we come, I want to invite you to be rooted and established and built, planted in a new location. Yes, we all have our backstory. We looked at that last week. But there's a supreme relationship that's available if you'll recognize who Jesus is. From that will be born a new creation. From that will come the fruit of ministry. From that will flow the power and the authority of God's kingdom. From what? From the Father's wide open arms. From His words. <laughs> 